We have uh, so much to be grateful for, haven't we? And um, just want to kind of uh, thank God for Isaac and Bradley and the gift that they've been to us uh, uh, since September or was it August when they arrived. And do pray for them this week as they um, head back to the States. Um, pray for them as they go home and, and pray that they get back <laughs> in, in January. But what a blessing they have, um, what a blessing to us they have been. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul. We thank you for this uh, letter to Romans. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us now um, as we look at uh, these glorious words from chapter 8. We pray that just by your Holy Spirit, that you would root them deeply in our hearts and help us to live out their truth and to understand more of their truth to us this morning. Amen. So about six years ago now, uh, we climbed Ben Nevis as um, a family. Ben Nevis um, is in Scotland. It's the highest mountain in the United Kingdom. For those of you who'd like to know these things, it's uh, 4,413 feet. Uh, That's 1,344 meters. Of course, compared to many mountains across the world, uh, Ben Nevis is just a pimple. But for us in the UK, it's the highest point that we can get to. And um, one of the rewards of climbing a mountain or, or any hill, you know, whether it be Rosebury Topping, Ben Nevis or wherever, is the view that you get at the top. Could we have our first uh, slide, please? So that was the view at the top of Ben Nevis <laughs> when we climbed it as a family. There was no view whatsoever. That was the end of June. That was June the 27th, um, six years ago. Could we have the next slide, please? And there we are. There's uh, David's glasses going all steamy with the cold and Aidan and uh, Benjamin sitting on the far right. That always makes me smile because he's on the phone He's ringing his grandma to tell her that he's on the top of Ben Nevis, which is lovely. There was no view. Paul's letter to the Romans is described by some as the Himalayas of the New Testament and Romans 8 as Everest. It's regarded by many as the greatest passage amongst what many think of as the greatest book in the Bible. And whilst I think we must be wary about putting too much weight to one book or one passage amongst the kind of riches of Scripture, it's certain that Romans 8 deserves to be in the kind of front rank because of its rich and comprehensive betrayal portrayal of what it means to be Christian. But if chapter 8 is the Everest of the Himalayas of Romans, then unlike Ben Nevis on that snowy summer's day, the view from the top, I hope you will agree that the view from the top from Romans 8 is magnificent. Could we have the next slide, please? Um, As we descended Uh, the summit of Ben Nevis, Um, then the view did open out before us. We could see, um, as we went down across the neighbouring mountains, and we could see the path 
um, wending its way down um, that we'd come up and um, that we were obviously on our way down, trace the path that we had to trace as we went back down. And as we stand, as we stand on the summit of Paul's letter and look back, we can see, can't we, where we've come from. We can see where we have traveled together over the last couple of months through Paul's letter to the Romans. And as we look back, as we look back from the kind of vantage point of Romans 8, we're reminded of some of the really tough terrain that we've had to climb through to get to this point. I'm thinking particularly of those first three chapters, which have a really hard-hitting diagnosis of the human condition. There have been, of course, glimpses of glory along the way, as Paul has explained the grace and the mercy um, and the forgiveness of God made freely available to us through Jesus. If you remember, we took a bit of a kind of scenic detour in chapter 4 through um, the Old Testament with Abraham. And um, chapter 5, it began to open up a little bit more of the glory which is ours in Christ. And it spoke of peace. Paul speaks of peace and hope and the love of God revealed in and through cross and resurrection. And chapter 5 then goes on to describe the two realms, the two kingdoms, the kingdom of sin and death founded by Adam and the kingdom of righteousness and life founded by Jesus Christ. And I'm sure you'll remember that over the last few weeks, the the going has got quite tough again with chapters 6 and 7 with their talk of the rule and reality of sin versus the rule and reality of grace Paul reminding us that we live under a new authority, that we're citizens of a new country, that we're subjects of a new king. But we've made it. We've made it. And last week and this week, we have stepped onto the summit of, the, um, of chapter 8. And I hope that you'll agree that it, it has been worth the climb. It's been worth the climb to get here. Because the view from the top does not disappoint. It is well worth savouring. We can just blank uh, that slide now. Thank you. From start to finish, Paul's purpose in chapter 8 is to build confidence. His purpose is to build confidence. Confidence in us, his people, in God's people, in us, assuring us of our identity and our security in Christ both now and for eternity. And from that confident opening verse that we had last week, um, verse 1 of chapter 8, that confident opening verse, that now there is no condemnation No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To that opening confident verse, to the closing conviction of verse 39, that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Throughout this chapter, Paul is hammering home the rock-solid certainty that we have as children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Last week when we were looking at the first, um, the opening 17 verses, we heard about the identity and the certainty which is ours 
through the Spirit, how the Spirit brings life and peace, um, and this, how the Spirit, through the Spirit who we're, through whom we're adopted into God's family and made co-heirs with Christ. And in these morning verses, Paul begins by addressing the tension the tension between the already and the not yet quality of our experience. That whilst, yes, we are now in Christ, we are children of God, we are inheritors of the kingdom, that whilst all those things are true, we still experience in the present suffering and challenge. I'd encourage you to take the Bibles um, in this, underneath the seats in front of you, if you've got it on your phone, and turn with me to chapter 8. Um, if you're looking in the church Bibles, it's on page 1071. And in verses 18 to 27, Paul, he's addressing the reality gap that we experience between who we are, children of God, co-heirs with Christ, empowered by the Spirit, the reality gap between who we are and the challenges of the present, the present sufferings, which Paul mentions in verse 18, the groaning of creation in verse 22. And Paul addresses the in-between times in which we live. That is between the moment we're adopted into God's family and begin our born-again life in the spirit, that's the now, and the new heaven and earth, which is described for us at the very end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. That's the future. If you know those verses from the very um, end of the Bible in Revelation, um, we read about the new Jerusalem, which God is going to establish once and for all at the end of time. A place, a, a time um, when there will be no more death, no more crying, no more pain. And it's into this reality check of our experience in the now and what lies ahead in the future um, that Paul is speaking. And he, he describes two things that are going to help us get through our present suffering and difficulties. And that is persevering hope and persistent prayer. Persevering hope and persistent prayer. Look at verse 24. For in this hope, that is the hope of full, complete, and perfect restoration, in this hope we were saved. Hope, Paul says, hope in God's glorious future, it's hope in this that sustains us when things are tough. Because we are destined for a better future. Some of you may recall that um, it was back in 97 that the Labour Party, they used the song, the song, Things Can Only Get Better, in their campaign anthem. It's a very catchy tune. Um, I would really hate it, actually, when any politics or adverts take a really great song and use it, because then you always associate whether that's a good or a bad thing. But they use this really catchy tune. It's one, kind of one of those earworms that gets there, isn't it? You know, things can only get better. And Paul is really singing a similar tune here. Things not only can, he says, but they will get better 
That's a promise. Not because of any change of government, not because of um, a change of um, political policy, but because of the promises of God to make all things new, to bring all things to their perfect completion under the eternal lordship of Jesus Christ. So persevering hope. Another key thing which gets us through our present difficulties is persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. And specifically here, Paul is talking about the prayer of the Holy Spirit. Look in verse 26. In the same way, in the same way as hope, in the same way as hope helps us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit prays for us in wordless groans, not because the Spirit is lost for words, but because the Spirit is praying deeply, mysteriously, wordlessly. Paul is describing here a wordless conversation in the very heart of God. And what an amazing encouragement that is to us, that the Spirit of God is praying for us, praying perfect prayers in line with God's perfect purpose. This doesn't mean that we don't pray. Paul isn't saying, oh, you know, don't worry about praying because the Spirit is doing it for you. No, we are to pray, but we're not to worry about getting it right because in and through and underneath our prayers, as inadequate and um, clumsy as they often feel, underneath all of that are the prayers of the Spirit who does know what to pray. Persevering hope and persistent prayer. But that's not all. Paul's got more in store because in addition to hope and to prayer is the assurance that God is sovereign and working in and through all things to fulfill his good purposes in us. Verse 28 And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So in addition to the persevering hope and persistent prayer, we have the assurance that in all things, God works for good. Even in the face of apparent uh, failings and um, setbacks and disaster, Paul says we can be confident that God is at work. But note, and, and this is really important, note that when Paul says, when he speaks of all things working for good, he's not, he's not slipping into a kind of, oh, you know, all's well that ends well theology, not a kind of like, it'll be all right on the night. That's not what Paul is saying at all. The good which Paul is talking about is explained for us in verse 29. Verse 29 says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed 
to the image of his son. To be conformed to the image of his son. That is the good that God is working in us through all things, conforming us into the image of his son. Remember, we are children of God, we are co-heirs with Christ, and our true destiny is to become more like Jesus. And God can use anything, anything to make us more like his son. This is the settled conviction which we have that no matter what happens, the sovereign God can use it to make us more like Jesus. In fact, failure and hardship and suffering, they're often more effective in making us more Christ-like because through them we learn lessons of, about trust, about love, about service, about forgiveness, about humility. God, says Paul, can use anything, anything at all, anything good or bad that happens to us to make us more like Jesus. This doesn't mean that we welcome troubles. That's not what Paul is saying here, but rather we, we don't despair. We don't get discouraged when things don't work out as we hoped because God, who is sovereign, works for our ultimate good, even in the most perplexing disappointing and challenging of circumstances. From the very beginning, Paul says, God has known and purposed and called us. So to sum, us, sum up so far, our assurance, our confidence lies in our future hope. It rests in the internal work of the Holy Spirit and through God's sovereign work for good, making us more like Jesus in all the circumstances of our lives. What then shall we say in response to these things? Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things. What shall we say in response to these things? Not just the things that Paul has been talking about here in chapter 8. No, all the things that he has been saying throughout Romans so far about the amazing grace of God reaching out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Here I see Paul kind of taking a deep breath as he gathers himself for the wonderful um, grand finale of verses 31 to 39. Paul is like a conductor here, a, a preparing to lead the orchestra in that final kind of climactic movement. He's like the great singer filling their lungs for that final great heart-stirring chorus. This is Paul's Martin Luther King moment, his kind of I have a dream speech. In response to all this, says Paul, what shall I say? What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
This is a nonsense question, isn't it? Because if God is for us, then nothing or no one can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us all things? If he gave us his precious son, Jesus Christ, how can we doubt that God will not give us everything that he has promised and everything that we need? It is God who justifies, who declares us righteous, forgiven. If that's the case, then who can condemn us? No one. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? Of course not, says Paul, because we are more than conquerors. We've already been promised and guaranteed to inherit the kingdom of God. For I am convinced, he says, that neither death nor life Neither angels or demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, height, depth, anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The assurance, the confidence, and the hope that Paul holds out to us in Romans 8 is urgently needed in our world today when nothing seems stable or secure. The latest round of COVID measures, just, they just remind us of the insecurity and the uncertainty which is part and parcel of the human experience. Paul writes to remind us that we are not guaranteed immunity to life's difficulties, but we are promised victory over them. God's promise is not that we shall not suffer, but that suffering will never, can never separate us from his love. It is this love which was supremely displayed in the cross, which has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, It's a love which through the power of Christ's resurrection from the dead will not, cannot let us go and which is committed to bringing us safely home to eternal glory. This, says Paul, is the source of our confidence. This is the foundation of our assurance. This is the summit and the vantage point which gives us a Christ-shaped perspective on life and death. To finish, let me paraphrase Paul. In response to all of this, what is our response? What is your response? What is my response? Let me make one suggestion. This week, read reread and ponder and seek to live out the truths of Roman 8. In fact, not just this week, do it every week. This is a passage which we 
I think we should read probably at least once a week, if not um, once a day, certainly every time there is a new COVID announcement. Reach for Romans 8, and if you do that, you'll be doing that every day, so that's a really good thing. Read it in the morning, read it last thing at night. You get the picture. Just read this passage, ponder it, seek to live out of its truths. Ponder, gaze, and absorb the view from this spectacular, magnificent summit point. Take these words seriously. Live them and through that discover the confident hope and deep assurance which is ours.